0: You're listening to audio from Liberty Church in the Harrisburg-Camp Hill area of Pennsylvania. For more information, please visit www.LibertyHarrisburg.org. That's Liberty with an I, Harrisburg.org. If you have Bibles, we're going to be in 1 John chapter 2 this morning, uh, verses uh, 15 through 17 is where we'll be, page 1021 on one of the black hardcover Bibles uh, is where you can find that. Last week, uh, if you got to be with us, Greg uh, Kabachian, our church planning resident, uh, he got to preach through the encouragements of verses 12 through 14, uh, which really is an incredible part of of John's letter. There's no commands there. Uh, There's nothing for us to do, just these beautiful truths to rest in, in light of what Jesus has done. And I hope that uh, that was encouraging to you because now today we go like right back to the commands. I was joking this week with Greg, like we, we give the residents like the happy sermons, but then as pastors, we have to come back in and, you know, lay the hammer down and the commands of the Bible. So that's what we're doing today. But as convicting as the command in today's text can be, I invite you to see this morning that there is real deep encouragement to be found here. Namely, there is an affirmation in these words that you were made for infinitely more Than this world can offer. You were made for infinitely more than this world can offer. Contrary to popular opinion, God is not someone trying to kill your joy. God is not trying to rob you of satisfaction in this life. He's trying to restore the joy that this world kills. He's trying to restore the satisfaction that this world robs. And I pray all of our eyes would be open to see that today. So let me pray for us, and then we're gonna dive into this text. Father, we ask now that you would send your spirit among us as we meditate on these words and on the work of Jesus. Would you prepare our minds even now to hear your word? Would you move our hearts to accept what we would hear? And would you purify our will to obey in joy and in faith? And we pray all of this through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. I invite you now to listen with open ears to this book that we love. This is 1 John chapter 2, beginning in verse 15. Do not love the world, Or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and pride in possessions, or your version might say the pride of life, is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever this is God's word. In this text, John is calling our attention to the perils of loving the world. And he makes three arguments in these three verses. We're going to look at each one this morning. An exclusive choice, an evil cause, and an eternal contrast. An exclusive choice, an evil cause, and an eternal contrast. So first, an exclusive choice. Uh, A lot of choices that we get to make in this life are not either or. They're both and choices. So should I get an appetizer or a dessert when I go out to eat? Both. You should probably get both of those things. Uh, Should I honor someone or should I be honest with someone? Both, hopefully. Both of those things. Uh, This week even I was asked if Christians should be uh, as concerned as some of us are about planting new churches or should we instead be only concerned with revitalizing old ones, ones that are maybe dying or not doing as well, should we try to revitalize those instead? I also think that's a both-and. Christians should care about both revitalizing existing churches and planting new ones. But some essential choices in our lives are not both-and. Some are either-or. Some decisions in life are mutually exclusive. And by choosing one thing, we are, by nature then, by default, saying no to another. And one of the most important exclusive choices is about our love. Will we love the world or will we love God? In verse 15, John says very plainly, it cannot be both. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. So this is an exclusive choice. And John is hardly alone in this assertion. Jesus himself said, it's recorded in Matthew chapter 6, no one can serve two masters. And he says there, either you will love the one and hate the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. The Apostle James writes in James chapter 4, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. So a lot of friendships that we have in our lives are both and. Uh, Me being friends with Mark, does not mean I can't also be friends with Bob. There's many friendships we can can have all at the same time. But James writes there, one friendship is mutually exclusive. If you are friends with the world, you are not friends with God. If you are friends with God, you are not friends with the world. Before we get any further, let's, let's define the world. Because this can be confusing. And you might already be thinking, I thought we were supposed to love the world. Didn't, didn't John, the same author, write in one of the most famous verses in all the Bible, John three sixteen, that God so loved the world that he gave his only son? Doesn't he call us to be people who love the world? And didn't John write in this very letter, just a few verses earlier, that Jesus Christ is the propitiation, the atoning sacrifice, not only for our sins, but also for the sins of the whole world? So why is John now commanding us to not love the world? Well, John, along with other writers in the New Testament, used the word world in different ways. There's a, what you call a lexical range to this word. There's a range of meanings that this word has in Scripture. Sometimes it's referring to the whole world, like all the people of the world, people from every tongue and tribe and nation. And when it's used that way in Scripture, it's the object of God's compassion and affection. God does so love the world that he gave his only son. But other times in Scripture, world is referring to the systems, the elements, the people of society that are persisting in rebellion against God. The world in the Bible is sometimes a shorthand way of describing the dominion where Satan reigns, where Satan exercises his power, where he influences and wreaks havoc and uses his power to oppose God and oppose God's people. And so if the question is, Are we supposed to love the world or not? John Stott explained it this way. He said, Viewed as people, the world must be loved. But viewed as an evil system, organized under the dominion of Satan, it is not to be loved. And in these verses that we read this morning, in 1 John 2, 15-17, it's that second definition of the world. The systems that are are rebelling against God. And this is the, the exclusive choice that is presented to us, you cannot love God and the world. If you choose to love the world, that is evidence that the love of the Father is not in you. And and this is actually really consistent with the stuff John's already been writing. If love for the Father is demonstrated by obedience, as John wrote at the start of this chapter, if love for God and pursuing the will of God go hand in hand, then really you, you cannot be allied with a system that is opposing God while walking with him. You can't say with your mouth that you love the Father while embracing the dominion of Satan with your life. John goes on in the next verse, and we'll get there in a minute, to explain what love for the world entails. But be reminded this morning that this really is a mutually exclusive choice. We we need that kind of simple clarity held out before us all the time. All the time. Why? Why? Because the world is appealing. The world is appealing. There are some things that we know to be wrong, that we know to be disobedient, to be against God's will, that still have a really tight grip on our hearts, which still sound fun, which still sound a lot better than than self-denial and the costly discipleship of following Jesus. There are going to be times in your life, and many of you already know this well, where you desperately wish that this were a both-and choice, where you could have the love of the Father and still love a little bit of the world, just a little bit. There are going to be times in your life where you begin to rationalize, maybe I can serve two masters. Even though I've become a citizen of God's kingdom, maybe I can still keep my old passport. Maybe I can go back and visit from time to time. I would invite you to consider this morning, what is that for you? In what ways do you wish that you could still love the world? What about the world is still appealing to you? Because whatever comes to mind, it's in those places in your life where you're going to be prone to rationalize things that you shouldn't rationalize. It's going to be those places in your life where you're likely to become desensitized to small expressions of love for the world that add up to a lot of love for the world. So let John's words, let John's clarity... This morning, wake you up and resensitize you. God or the world, you can only love one. You can only love one. To love God or love the world is an exclusive choice. So that is one crucial reason why we must not love the world. The second is an evil cause. An evil cause. In verse 16, John explains that the things of the world are not from the Father. They have a different source They have an evil cause. In Scripture, we discover that that God and his people have three enemies. And sometimes they work independently, oftentimes they work together. They are the world, the flesh, and the devil. And it's interesting to note that between verses 14 and 16, John here mentions all three. In verse 14, which we looked at last week, he talks about the evil one, Satan. Throughout these verses that we were reading this morning, he talks about the world, systems that persist in rebellion against God. Now, here in verse 16, he introduces the third one, the flesh. Not meaning our physical bodies, but meaning our sinful nature. Uh, What the Apostle Paul refers to a couple times as the old man. That part of ourselves which remains unrenewed, untransformed, and therefore out of step with, with God's will. And these three enemies are the causes of our sin against God. Uh, They are evil, John says. They are not from the Father, and they are powerful. But here is the strangely encouraging thing that I hope you hear this morning. These enemies cannot cause things by themselves. These enemies cannot create out of nothing. They can only corrupt something that has been created by God. They can only take something that was originally created by God as good and twist it and warp it into something that is not good. And it's so important for us to understand that because the more we grasp that, the more it exposes the folly of loving the world. You see, to to love the world is to choose the corruption instead of the creation. To love the world is to choose the, the charred remains of something instead of the beautiful thing that was originally there. To love the world is to forego a feast in favor of fast food. Children of God, your Father... The creator of heaven and earth has invited you to the most phenomenal meal your mind can imagine. Course after course of the richest and finest food. The world, the flesh, and the devil are telling you to stop on the way to that feast and gorge yourself on 7-Eleven taquitos instead. That's what sin offers us. That's what these things are doing and enticing us to. And John here includes three specific examples, three weapons that these enemies use to draw us into loving the world. The desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life or pride in possessions. And as we just briefly get a time to touch on each of those, I invite you this morning, look through the corruption and see the original goodness. Look through the corruption. The the desires of the flesh are internal. They are within us. Often, when we as Christians might complain about how bad things have gotten in the world, we might complain about worldliness, we forget that it's also worldly in here, in each of us. We have a sinful nature. We have a flesh. And Paul writes in Galatians chapter 5 that the desires of our flesh are in perpetual conflict with the desires of the Spirit. They're in perpetual conflict with the will of God. There's this untransformed part of us which doesn't trust that God's will is truly satisfying. And those desires butt heads all the time. Our hearts are our factories of desire. We keep producing new things to want instead of God. And that might be physical pleasure. That might be power. That might be money. That might be a certain quality of life. Here's what we need to see this morning. Desire isn't bad disordered desire is. Desire isn't bad, but how we try to satisfy our desires is often through an evil corruption instead of the good creation. See, you have desires, you have longings because God has written them on your heart. Ecclesiastes chapter 3, God has put eternity into the hearts of men. As an image bearer of God that lives in this world, you long for eternity You live every moment of your life desiring a better country, a better city than this one. And seeking to satisfy those desires with things like casual sex, power over another person, whatever it might be, that is your flesh's attempt, my flesh's attempt, to stop short of fulfilling the real desire, the real longing that we all have. And so when you experience desires of the flesh, whatever that looks like in your life, rather than simply trying to suppress rather than simply trying to control those desires, ask yourself, what am I really looking for here? What am I really longing for? And how has God promised to satisfy my desire in such a more fulfilling way than my flesh offers? Where the desires of the flesh are are within us, desires of the eyes are outside of us. As one author put it, the eyes are the chief bridge between the flesh and the outside world. They're this important bridge, this important gateway with things that happen around us. So we see how other people live. We see what other people have. And we begin to covet. We begin to want that for ourselves. I'm completely content with the home that I live in until I visit you and yours. And then there's like six house projects that like have to be done right now or I'm discontent. Right? I'm I'm completely content with my kids' academic or athletic ability until I get to hang out with your little prodigy, you know? And then all of a sudden it's like, maybe we're falling behind. Maybe we need to do something different, something more. I like our church a lot until I visit another church with people and leaders I respect. And then I'm like, our church kind of stinks. There's like 10 things that I think we're different, you know, wish we're different right now. Proverbs 27:20. never satisfied are the eyes of man. Never satisfied are the eyes of man. The more we look around, the more inclined we are to covet and to become perpetually discontent. Here's the thing. Your eyes are actually among the most incredible gifts that God has ever given you. In every waking, think about this, in every waking moment of your life, you are invited to take in the absolute splendor and majesty of all that God has made. And whether that's soaking in the glory of the natural world or beholding another person, Looking across a table, across a room at another person made in the image of God, the pinnacle of all of God's good creation? Is it really surprising that your eyes, my eyes, stir up a desire? You're always being invited to see the imprint of your Creator, to perceive every good and perfect gift that God is bestowing upon you. Your eyes were made to see. And so when you experience desires of the eyes, when you're tempted to love the world by coveting the things that you don't have, rather than shutting your eyes, rather than just looking away, look deeper, look through, look for the goodness of God in whatever you're looking at until you find it, until you see it. John's third example then is the pride of life or pride in possessions. In other words, boasting about who we are or what we have or what we do. So, if the desires of the flesh and the eyes are about wanting things we don't have, then the pride of life or possessions is being arrogant about the things we do. It's jockeying for position, it's, it's sizing other people up and deciding because of what you have or because of what you've done, you're better than, than them, you're better than that person. And again, Pride of life is a corruption of something good. You have every reason for the right kind of pride. You have already every reason for the right kind of boasting. It's just just that it has nothing to do with what you've done or the possessions you've acquired. It has everything to do with Psalm 8. That God is mindful of you. That he has made you a little bit lower than the heavenly beings crowned with glory and honor. It has everything to do with what John is writing this entire letter for, that you are known by God, that God knows you. You know the Father. Boast in that. Have pride in that. Rejoice in that. It's like when Jesus told his disciples they came back from all this effective work and ministry that they got to see God do through them. And he says, you know what? Don't rejoice in all that work you just did. Rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Rejoice that the God who created the universe knows you and calls you by name. When you're tempted to love the world by indulging pride of life or pride in your possessions, ask yourself, what am I still trying to prove here? With all that God has said about me, with all that God has given me, what do I possibly think I can add to that? You see how all of these examples of loving things in the world, they are corruptions of something so much better. The best that the world and the flesh and the devil can offer is a counterfeit of an infinitely better offer that God is holding out to you. And if you're here this morning and you're not a Christian and and you're considering what Christianity is all about and who Jesus is, I, I just invite you to really see this. There are so many misconceptions about this and sometimes Christians are to blame for the conceptions. But Christianity is not about killing joy. It's about maximizing your joy. Christianity is not about squashing your desires. It is about fulfilling your desires in a way that's actually satisfying. When so many of us know how hard we've tried to satisfy them in ways that just aren't. And if you are a Christian here this morning, Wherever the world is still appealing to you, wherever you find yourself inclined to love the world, this is going to sound counterintuitive, but stay with me for a moment, I want to call you this morning not simply to practice self-denial and self-control. You'll certainly need to do that. Self-denial and self-control are important parts of what it looks like to follow Jesus. But here's the thing, we can't just say no to loving the world. We have to say yes to loving something better. And the only way to drive out love for the world from those deep and dark crevices of your heart where it just refuses to leave, the only way to drive that out is to experience deeper love for the Father and to let that love for the Father push out your love for the world. And so ask yourself, what am I really desiring? What are my eyes really meant to see? And what can I possibly add to all that God has said about me and done for me? So there's an exclusive choice, there's an evil cause, third and finally, an eternal contrast. Verse 17, John writes, the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. You see, as as appealing as this world can be, the reality is it's on its way out. It's passing away. And one day, all of the, the counterfeits, all of the corruptions will be exposed for what they are. On that day, rebellion against God will cease. Our flesh, our sinful nature will finally die. Satan will be cast into an eternal lake of fire. God will restore you and restore this world to all of the original goodness that he created it with. Can you imagine a life free from greed, free from coveting? Can you imagine your life free from lust, or free from discontentment. Can you imagine a life where you aren't constantly comparing yourself with other people and trying to prove something? It is coming. That day is coming. And it's a lot nearer than any of us think. I don't feel it very often. But that is where all of human history is headed. And John is saying to us in this text, live in light of what lasts forever. Live in light of what lasts forever. Do not wait for eternity to align your life with what lasts, As Chip was leading us this morning, we are in this season of Lent, and in this season of Lent, we remember our mortality. And so I would say to you today, remember again today how short this life is. Our mortal bodies return to the dust. And so why spend one more precious minute of this short life loving things, devoting yourself to things that are ultimately just passing away? All of this, friends, at the end of the day, comes down to trust. Is God's will, is God's design best or do I think I can do better? Is it God's will that will bring real joy and satisfaction to my life or do I actually think I can find that somewhere else? Our ancestors tried once and in the Garden of Eden, in the midst of all of God's perfection, all of God's goodness, Adam and Eve thought, I think we can do better. And the one prohibition in the middle of a million permissions, became the desire of their flesh. They saw the food and they wanted it. It became the desire of their eyes. It was a delight to Eve's eyes, Genesis 3 tells us. And it became an opportunity for the pride of life. There was a counterfeit promise made by Satan to Adam and Eve to become like God if they would only disobey him. So it is no coincidence that these same three things are the ways that we are prone to love the world. But always remember in the Garden of Eden, desires of the flesh, desires of the eyes, and the pride of life did not lead to joy, but to immense pain. It did not lead to satisfaction, but to an unbelievably crippling kind of shame. It is what plunged this world into ruin. And your love and my love for the world and all the things of the world will bring exactly the same result if we try. But men and women, here's the good news. It was in that very moment when God said, I will redeem this. It was that very moment where his plan to reconcile the world was set into motion. Jesus Christ came into the world and lived and died and rose again, not only to rescue you and me from the penalty of sin, but from the futility of a life devoted to something else made to live in the love of the Father, Jesus Christ came into this world to rescue you from the emptiness of loving the world. So do not love the world or things in the world, but as one who is meant to abide forever with God through the finished work of Jesus Christ, may you find real joy and real satisfaction. May you find your real life in the only place where it can be found in the love of the Father. Amen. Amen. Let me pray for us. Lord God, we ask now by the power of your spirit that you would give us strength to live out this message that we have heard today. Forgive us for where the world, where love for the world is still appealing. Exposing us, especially those, those deep and dark places in our hearts where we still love the world. And would love for you pour into our hearts this morning and drive out all that remains of love for the world. As we now prepare to come to this table to remember, to feast on, to celebrate your finished work. Would you remind us of the complete emptiness of folly of devoting, of devoting ourselves to anything else? Would you make us people who truly love you and are loved by you? Guide us in that today. Pray we rejoice in the love you have for us. We pray all that in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Liberty Church. To learn more about our church or to listen to previous recordings, visit www.LibertyHarrisburg.org.